And this study, 15 Protestant Truths About the Death of God the Son, this is part eight. And the title tonight is, Jesus Died on the Cross to Deliver Us from This Present Evil Age and Keep Us Holy and Faithful to God, Zealous for Good Deeds. I have three texts that I want to look at. First is Jeremiah 32, 38 to 40. Do you have all three of those texts in your notes? Okay, it's good, because as we read them, I'm going to talk about them kind of back and forth at the beginning just for a second, so I hope you just keep those three right in front of you. Jeremiah 32, 38 to 40, and they, and they shall be my people. Now that, we read it so many times. There's something in that, though, that ought to strike you as strange in that these are words written to the Jews, And it doesn't say they are my people. Striking, isn't it? And they shall be my people. I thought they already were. Or is there something else we're looking at here? And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good. And the good of their children after them. And I will make with them an everlasting covenant. Wait a minute. Aren't these people with whom God has already made covenant? Abraham? And his descendants? And the law and circumcision? Aren't these people of the covenant? And I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn away from me. Galatians 1, 3, and 4. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins... To deliver us from the present evil age. I included that phrase in the title. To deliver us from the present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father. Dot, 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 dot. Because I had to chop it off there. And then Titus 2. 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared. Bringing salvation for All people. Remember up in Jeremiah, and they shall be my people to the Jews. And now in Titus, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. This idea of a people again, but it seems to be a different people from the Jewish nation. Grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us, training us to renounce ungodliness And worldly passions, and to live self controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. If there's ever a phrase that tells you who Jesus is, our great what? God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
who gave himself to redeem us from lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And I use that phrase in the title. And what I want you to notice in the Titus passage, in my notes I have a circle around works. The last word in that Titus reference, do you see it? Zealous for good works. I circled it. And then I drew a big arrow around to the third word in the Titus reference. For the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared. What does the grace do? Well, it does something surprising. The last word, it creates good works. In other words, in other words the more you think about grace the more you are thinking about works. It's not the case that if you focus on works, you've ignored grace, or if you concentrate on grace, you don't have to think about works. Every once in a while, someone will say, oh, I'm, I'm uh, listening to such and such a teacher because he has such a grace message. And what they mean by that is not an emphasis on works. And I'm thinking, well, then it's not really a grace message because you'll know if there's grace being taught biblically because what it produces in people is a tremendous interest in good works. That's what grows out of the soil of grace. That's why James and Romans aren't opposites. They're complements. All right. I hope you can kind of keep track of the journey we've been on in some of the past studies as we continue to walk through these wonderful accomplishments of the cross of Christ. Uh, I wanted to kind of unpack some truths. I think it's pretty common, pretty common in much of the church. We, we know Jesus died on the cross we know we get forgiveness and we go to heaven. And that's all blessedly true, wonderfully true. And we're grateful for it, but that's not the same as, as digging and pondering and thinking about the cross of Jesus Christ. Sing that old hymn by Isaac Watts, not as much maybe anymore. When I survey the wondrous cross. You ever seen people on a construction site? Do you ever drive by some road and it's not much now, but you know something's coming because you see these little poles in the ground. They got some red tape on the top and you'll see a guy with a tripod and he's got a scope. You don't even know what he's doing. But he's, he's looking at things and he's studying things. And he's got a notebook and you see him writing things down or he's got a computer, an iPad, and he's entering data and he looks again and he puts more data and he studies and has someone over there and they're lining something up or doing a foundation of a building. They're surveyors. And they have those instruments because it's not just to go out there and say, you know what? Looks like a pretty good chunk of land. Let's, uh, let's throw a skyscraper up there. No, there's, there's, there's a whole bunch of detail. There's a whole bunch of study. There's a whole bunch of things to be learned. That's what we're doing when we look at the cross, surveying the cross. Surveying takes time. And ours is not an age and ours is not a church. I don't mean this church. I mean the church. Ours is not in North America. It's not particularly a church that's favorable to things that take a while. And that you study. And that you labor over. We like fast food. We like fast commercials. Uh, we want church to be quick and up because we've got other stuff to do on Sunday. 
We want to feel good. And surveying doesn't smack of any of those things. Here's where we've been so far. Jesus Christ, God the Son, died on the cross, dot, 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 A, to absorb God's just and holy wrath against sin and please his heavenly Father. We took a whole week. B, to learn obedience by the things he suffered and complete the obedience that fulfills all righteousness. Nothing about forgiveness there yet. We took a week studying that. Three, or C, I guess we should keep with the letters. To show the richness of God's love and grace and forgiveness to guilty sinners. D, to counsel the law's demands, take away our condemnation, give us a clear conscience before God. E, to abolish circumcision and the earthly priesthood by becoming our eternal high priest. F, to become a sympathetic high priest instead of a condemning high priest and give us ongoing access to the throne of God. G, to give us confidence that God will give us all things ultimately good and blessed. That's where we've been. Tonight, the, the background point, the big point, the cross of Christ, when genuinely encountered in faith, it brings about a discernible, visible change of heart and life. Point number one. Cross of Christ brings a fundamental change in the heart of those who enter the new covenant in Christ's blood. There's a reason you have uh, both an Old Testament and a New Testament in the Bible, and it's to bear testament to the great change that the cross of Christ brings, because it brings an end to an old covenant and launches a brand new covenant. I was watching, uh, oh, somebody help me. The guy that replaced Larry King, British guy. Yeah, 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 watching Pearson, and he's, uh, he's, a, he's a sharp guy. And he was, he was uh, annihilating Joel Olstein on there. And that's not Olstein's fault. It's just, it's just the way Pearson does it, and... In typical fashion, it's the, it is so predictable. And I was surprised that there wasn't a better answer coming back. All of these guys, what they'll do is they'll get you going on, on gay rights and same-sex marriage. And, of course, Joel is trying hard to, to say, well, I like my Bible and I, like, and I like the gay community to like me too. You know? And it was, it was that. I, I appreciate how hard it is when you're under the microscope and under the gun. I get it. And then Pierce does exactly what you know he's going to do. Well, what about those other verses? I mean, uh, they, uh, they stoned children for cursing their parents in the Old Testament. And, and kidnappers were burned and idolaters were executed. Do you believe in those things? You say, well, no. And you, well, that's where they talk about, you know, it's abomination for a man to lie with a man and blah, 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 blah. And so you feel kind of stupid like... Bible's got all sorts of really, really outdated stuff in there. That's what he's saying. Your Bible's got a whole bunch of stuff you don't believe in. How come you still believe in this? It's the argument that always gets thrown. And of course, what it ignores is, you'd think somebody would say, 
Okay, you probably never read your Bible, but have you ever noticed that it's got two books in it? An old covenant and a new covenant. A theocratic kingdom for a nation and a spiritual kingdom for all the nations and peoples of the earth. And you can't just take regulations that God gave to keep a nation distinct from the idolatrous nations around them and the practices of those nations. You can't just take the regulations that God gave for a people for a period of time until the coming of the Messiah and apply those regulations to today. You can't do that with the Bible, and the Bible doesn't even want you doing that. Nobody ever says that. Why do we need a new covenant? I mean... Why can't we just keep on stoning children that curse their parents? And why not just kill idolaters? And there are, by the way, still theocratic religions in the world that do those things today. What, what does the new covenant change? What does the new covenant do that the old didn't? Jeremiah must have salivated for the fulfillment of his own prophetic words. And they shall, they shall be my people, and I will be their God, and I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. And I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn away from me. I'm amazed how many people, even in the church, think that, you know what we really need to do? If we can just get enough Christians uh, in positions of government and we can just create the laws of the land and we can just make a Christian society here on earth. And Jesus had an answer for that. He looked at people and he said, no, no, my kingdom is not of this world. You, you, don't, you don't just patch things up by taking some regulations and affixing them to this culture won't work my kingdom is for democratic nations and communist nations and dictatorships they don't have to be like your country my kingdom is for everyone who will see themselves as a sinner put their trust in a redeemer and allow my holy spirit to transform them from the inside out for all peoples of all nations with all sorts of religious backgrounds. It's not just an ethnic group like you have in the Old Covenant keeping a few laws. That was to keep a nation distinct because you know who was coming from that nation? The Redeemer of all mankind. The Old Covenant could only tell people what they should do because it brought no inward transformation it was powerless to incline people to obey its terms. Oh, you get flashes. We should admit that. You get these moments of, of uh, kind of prophetic spiritual touch where even someone like David just seems to be aware, seems to be aware of the need for that inward work of the Spirit. But nothing permanent, nothing abiding, Nothing universal, nothing available to all. This is what Jeremiah said would be changed when the new covenant came. God would not only give people outward instructions, he would cause people to long to keep his instructions. Like a spiritual DNA I mentioned in my prayer. 
3240, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. These, these are the words, by the way, when Jesus is there in that little room with his disciples and they're celebrating the Passover that have been celebrated for so, so, so long and all of a sudden Jesus says something that no one ever said at the Passover. No one said these words ever at a Passover. This is my blood of the covenant and Jesus is holding it. This, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, Mark 14, 24. This is what the writer of Hebrews meant when he described Jesus as the mediator of a new covenant, 9:14. The covenant was new, not only because it was second in succession, because, but because it was completely different in power, in scope. Oh, I gotta move on. I had more I wanted to say that, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to do it. Point number two. You've got pretty complete notes there. You can. I want to get to this. The new life of the cross of Christ is. I chose this word because I thought it carried a picture with it. The new life of the cross of Christ is anti-magnetic to this present evil age. Before you went out and bought Game Boy and all sorts of stuff for your kids, I can remember when my dad came home with these little magnets. No batteries. And depending on which way you turned them, it was fascinating to see the way they would suck together. But if you flipped one of them over, you won't believe what happens. You can't hold them together. They, they repel. They, they push apart. Galatians 1, 3, and 4. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us. When we think who gave himself for our sins, the first thing that comes to our mind is forgiveness. The first thing that comes to Paul's mind is deliverance, which is not quite the same thing. Forgiveness, you think of just over and over and over again. Forgiveness, I forgive you and forgive you and forgive you. A repetition of the sin and, and, and it keeps getting cleansed. But when you think about deliverance from sin, it kind of carries a different picture, doesn't it? Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us. And then it's not just my Don Horbin's particular sins. That's certainly true. Deliver us from this present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father. And so, so Paul makes... Uh, a three-link chain, as I see it, in, in those two verses from Galatians 1. The first link is grace that we've all received. Grace to you. We can't survive without God's grace. We need a lot more than just his standards. We're doomed without God's grace. 
The second link in his chain is the cross. Who gave himself for our sins. That's the cross. That's where Christ gave himself. The third link in the chain is is the result of experiencing God's grace through the cross of Christ to deliver us from this present evil age. Now, this present evil age isn't just the time when Paul was writing to those churches in Galatia. This present evil age continues. It's the age you're living in it, the age between your birth and your death or your birth and the second coming of Jesus. That's the present evil age that Paul is writing about. And he says, Jesus wants to rescue us from this age. Not by removing us from it, but by transforming and keeping us in it. John 17, 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. That's the same idea in the lips of Jesus. Jesus saw an evil one, an evil one operating behind the visible face of life in Newmarket in 2016. We don't think of him that much. When you turn on your Rogers PVR or visit internet sites, you, you, you don't think all that much about an evil one working. But Paul says, Jesus says, this world's not, not an innocent place. He prays, oh, keep them from the evil one. This is not a spiritually neutral place. It's apparently a very destructive place for holiness and godliness. Here is now, we're talking about the new covenant. It does many things, but one of the first things, one of the first signs of life, the life of the new covenant is eyes to see the nature of this present evil age. Christians of the new covenant, sharp Christians of the new covenant, thinking Christians of the new covenant, they start to see the terrain of the world around them. They live in it, but they aren't impressed by it. They know what John meant, 1 John 5, 19, when he said the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's quite a sentence. They, they feel, they don't just know that truth, like you know your phone number or your social insurance number, but they, they feel the weight of that truth. It's what the hymn writer meant. We sing it. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. I first saw the light. A light went on, he says. When he, when he really surveyed the cross carefully, when he, when he, when he scratched and sniffed and, and got the flavor of what happened there at the cross, a light went on. And like any time when you turn on a light, you see things you didn't see before. And the very first thing people of the new covenant see is 
the way they've been living their whole lives and the way those around them are living their lives in, in self-deception. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So it's not just, it's not just committing the odd failure. You walked in these things. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. You don't see him invisible. The spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience. So the first thing you see, the light. I saw the light. The first light of the new covenant is is a light that exposes the nature of life in this world. The cross reveals the depth of sin. Those who are dead in trespasses and sins. Here's where I want to close this second point. I, 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 worry, I worry a bit at the way Christian people, church-going people, who, who, yes, they grew up in Sunday school, they know the stories about the cross, they know, yes, Jesus loves me, and that's all good. They know they were sinners and they are now saved, but somehow have, have never had kind of a seismic shift and, and shaking. See those pictures of the earthquakes? Over how desperately lost and corrupt and how utterly unimpressive this present evil age is. People who experience the new covenant, who talk salvation but are enamored by this present age, I fear they don't get it. Okay, point number three. A second sign of the power of the new covenant is a zeal for righteousness. This is a little bit different. The Titus text, 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. For how many people? Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Here's what I want to say under this last point. I think it's a terrible thing when Christians and churches get caught not knowing the difference between trying to avoid sin and being zealous for good deeds. They aren't the same thing. Paul specifically mentions the death of Christ again. Gave himself to redeem us. Okay, So he's talking about why Jesus came and died on the cross. And Paul says there are two reasons. There are two reasons where many Christians see only one. Yes. He died to redeem us from all lawlessness. See that? Verse 14. 
And I talked about that. This light of the new covenant that comes. The first thing you see is the, the darkness of this world. The power of the evil one. The deadly danger of sin. And walking according to the course of this world. And there's nothing neutral. There's nothing to be attracted in it. Remember the magnet illustration. So that's one thing. This shunning of evil. But that's not the whole of it. Paul doesn't stop there. The end isn't just to redeem us from all lawlessness. He keeps going. Jesus died on the cross to make me zealous for good deeds. And avoiding sin is not being zealous for good deeds. Avoiding sin is avoiding sin. Good deeds are works for the Lord. Positive ministering, edifying, loving deeds for the Lord. And he died not just to make me hate sin. He died to make me love serving him. Those are two distinct things, both very important. There's a world of difference. Zealous for good deeds. I'm going to try an experiment, and you can do this out loud. In about 10 seconds, I'm going to say the word zeal. And you're all going to shout back to me whatever synonym. Oh, yeah, you don't, they don't do grammar in school anymore. Synonym means a word with exactly the same meaning. Okay? So I'm going to say zeal, and you're all going to say whatever first thing comes to your mind. Real loud, okay? Zeal! Most, most said passion. Did you notice that? I'm not saying that's the only right answer. That's not my point. I'm simply saying most people said passion, passionate, zealous. Only it's not talking about passion for worship and singing praise choruses. And it's not talking about passion for going to church on Sunday. It's not talking about passion for prayer meetings. All those, you should be. It's talking about passion for, I can't do enough for Jesus, boy, I sure, want to, I sure want to do as much as I can. I can't sleep at night. Ideas are spinning in my head about how I can use my time and money to glorify Christ. Paul says every time you come into this place and you look up at that cross, remember the reason he shed his blood on it was to fill your imagination with ideas about how you can use the rest of your time and the rest of your wealth to do things for God. Not just missionaries and pastors. He died on that cross so that every person in this room would be so changed that they would lie awake at night dreaming of all the things they could do. It's like... It's like passionate about... I don't know what it would be for you. Seeing your grandchildren. Passionate about... Chocolate. Passionate about 
losing 15 pounds. Passionate about, ladies, shoe shopping. Passionate about golf. Passionate about show and shine, the new cars. And then we're going to melt them all down into a golden idol when we're done. Why did he die? Why did he come and die? Well, you and I need forgiveness. And it wasn't going to happen any other way. That's 20%. Now, here's the 80%. He came and died because he wanted to create a people. That's what it says. A people who were passionate about reaching the rest of the people in this world with good deeds of the gospel. We all know Philippians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not the result of work, so that no one can boast. Praise God. And then you keep going. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jesus, in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And the thing is, the thing is, we think that that's somehow for another class of Christian. I mean, there always are those people in every church, you know, really, really zealous Christians. Praise God, I'm just forgiven. When Jesus says... Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. They may see your good works. He doesn't mean you're a Christian so you don't lie, you don't swear, you don't do internet porn, you don't cheat on your wife, uh, you don't cheat on your income tax. None of that is good works. None of that is works at all. It's important, but it's just holiness. Works is seeing that the world will see the glory of Jesus because I am just so passionate to use the rest of my time and the rest of my wealth so that people will see how wonderful Jesus is to me. And the thing is, that's not an add-on. Now we're talking about some extra holiness thing. He came and he died to make you that kind. Just as surely, just as surely as he died so that you would be forgiven... As much in the package as your forgiveness is to make a people passionate about good deeds. God help us all to see it. God help us all to see it because it goes by fast this life, doesn't it? Have you noticed? Anybody else noticed that? Last Wednesday, I was 30. And that is the way life goes. That is the way life goes. We need people who are not just zealous for Blue Jays. We need people who are zealous for the glory of Christ. Let's pray.